Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation. I'm Noe Tanigawa. So glad you're here because I think you're going to enjoy this hour in Chinatown, which has been getting some attention lately, right? Mayor Blangiardi attended the May meeting of the Downtown Chinatown Neighborhood Board, his first, he said. And after brief remarks, he told attendees to hold him accountable for a list of initiatives spanning most, if not all, city departments. Ultimately, the mayor's message came down to these few words. If your hopes have dimmed in four months, I'm sorry, but don't give up hope yet. And in fact, he added, don't even go there. Well, we'll take a closer look at the mayor's initiatives ahead, but we might have a better perspective on them after a tour through the neighborhood with the Chinatown Citizens Patrol. The patrol this past Tuesday night consisted of Kevin McDonald, former Chinatown bar owner and sergeant at arms of the neighborhood board, Laura Sturgis, whose mother was a longtime Chinatown activist. She's also a neighborhood board member. We met Krista along the way, and Dottie Bona has been patrolling for over 30 years. Kevin Lai, a management consultant, is the current neighborhood board chair. He served on the board at various times for over 10 years. What we did was we met 8 p.m. at Baratania and Fort Streets. It was a pleasant night, and we began our stroll down Bethel Street. I asked Kevin for his response to Mayor Blangiardi's presentation. I had provided the mayor's office with a couple of questions that had been submitted by members of the board and from our public. And his staff had suggested that he would be addressing those to the best of his ability during his prepared remarks. It seemed like what he said was a bit extemporaneous. And the limited time that they had, although we appreciate it, didn't really give us a chance to delve into, I'm sure, everything that people wanted to ask of the mayor. Why was that time limited? Uh, I believe that he and Managing Director Formby had other appointments that evening. Do do you feel that um, the primary issues were were at least addressed for Chinatown? I think that the main goal was accomplished. I'm really glad that he and Managing Director Formby were able to attend and at least show their appearance to our constituents. I think that'll set the stage for further conversations. So this is the uh, type of incident that we like to document for our elected officials, just to let them know we'd like to see them address these types of things. Hi, I didn't catch your name. Krista. Krista. Hi. Hi. Do you know Noe? I'm Noe. Hi, Krista. Good to meet you. Krista, do you live in Kukui Plaza Complex? No, I live over at Honolulu Park Place. Okay, great. How did you hear about the Citizen Patrol? Well, I went to the meeting last week. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And then I saw that the invitation, I thought I'd come. I love this area. It's my neighborhood. (laughs) Glad you could join. So I thought I'd just check it out. Are there any particular areas of concern that you have in the area that you think we should swing by to check out? Well, I'm just, this is an example of the tragedy of some of the homeless. I mean, she's this young, vulnerable woman with her pants almost open. I just think that alone is very tragic. Um, Any particular areas? Well, last summer was really bad. The dirt and the garbage and the maggots and the flies during the summer's heat. Okay. So that would be the major. It's a you know it's a sanitary disease issue when it gets to July August. Oh, we made it another week. This is our miracle of miracles. There's still no graffiti on the elevator building. All the bricks are still clean. Uh, to what do you attribute that? 
seven or eight weeks ago when we found the contractor the city had hired to power spray all the graffiti off. We don't know if he put a special surface coating on it or whatnot, but it's been clean since then. We're very happy about that. So we've been monitoring these bulb outs that have been a significant amount of controversy for the past two or three years. What we see is these at-grade bricks that are here. The see? pink brick. Right. We heard at the neighbor board meeting last week that this design would indeed allow some of this temporary transient drop-in, pick-up, take-off parking. It'll be interesting to see how this is actually zoned, if they'll put up signs that will regulate that or if it'll still remain kind of off the books. Yeah, I saw some people pretty happy about that happening the Friday before Mother's Day. Yeah. I wonder if that was a coincidence? Hard to say. Okay, we'll stop for pedestrians. Dottie, how long have you been coming on the neighborhood watch? Actually, I started with Laura's mom. When was that? Over 30 years ago <laughs> when her mom started this downtown Chinatown Citizens Patrol. And I've been walking ever since. So I'm still at it. It's important to me to keep it going because it really helps the, the neighborhood, if you know what I mean. Tell me, tell me about what it's been like. Why did you uh, start? Oh, well, we had, we had a bad prostitution on Kukui Street. We had shootings, drug dealing and all that kind of stuff. So we started that time with Laura's mom. She was really the founder, the one that got everything going. Uh, Dolores Mooring. Dolores Mooring. Yeah, she was on the neighborhood board too. But truthfully, I've never felt unsafe downtown, Chinatown, even nighttime. Describe the changes you've seen. The homeless is really much worse than it was. We had a few people there, you know, basically winos or people on drugs and stuff like that. But it wasn't like it is now. You say what, in the last 10 years? I'd say probably about there. Mm -hmm. That we've had a heavy influx of people from the mainland and most of them are wheeling and dealing in drugs. How can you tell? You can tell. I had a guy walk up to me and ask me if I wanted to buy ice. I just kept walking down Monacea Street. This was daytime. I told him, I'll have you to know, when I buy jewelry, I go to the jewelry store. I don't buy jewelry. <laughs> when I got to the corner, I turned around and looked, and he was standing there with his mouth hanging open. There's a good picture for you, Molly. Huh. urine. Oh, you think? Oh, I'm sure. There's no other. Oh, great. There's no, uh, there's no spigot or spout. I don't think somebody. No, that's someone went over there. Tell me your observations, Kevin. Well, there's a lot less screaming tonight, which is good. In general, I think people are pretty friendly, kind of keep to themselves. A lot of people have a boombox. But uh, so far, so good. A lot of places to hang out, preparing their bedding for the night. Hi there, how are you? Hi. There's, there's more plywood around here than there was just a couple weeks ago. You know, across the windows and stuff. I think this is the smallest that we've seen our bonfire of the future in a couple of weeks. They must have come by to pick up some pallets. What's bonfire of the future? Oh, there's a stack of wooden pallets there. Oh. See where the shopping cart is? Yeah. Normally there's about seven or eight pallets. You know, don't you think, Kevin, though, that 
as far as Blanchardi and you hear people railing about, oh, well, the big problem he's not taking care of is the homeless. But, you know, after looking at it for so many years from the neighborhood board level, I mean, really, there's no way to whisk people off the street, is there? There's really not. It's such a chronic, endemic problem. Earlier this year, we did have his executive director of housing, Anton Krucki, come to our board and outline some of the progress and plans that were already in place for Chinatown. What I stressed was the need for objective, quantitative measurements to show what the city was doing to address the problem. What would you measure? Anything that we can find, such as numbers of people on the streets in the evenings, consumption of the meals handed out by River of Life and other agencies such as that, how many homeless folks are transitioning from being on the streets to some sort of intermediate housing, anything, just bring us some numbers. Uh, have you, do you think crime has actually gone up down here? The reports of violent crime, I think, are up. We hear more frequently than prior about attempted stabbings, robberies, and that's very disconcerting because when that hits the press, that can do nothing but reduce the likelihood that tourists will want to come to Chinatown and spend money. The vibrancy of Chinatown has been lost for the past couple of years. Initially, we attributed it, at least in part, to rising up of the Kaka'ako area. When that diminished, then we simply had other factors taking over, and really the momentum was lost. Mm. We've had a number of businesses closed. We see no shortage of empty storefronts on any of the streets on which we've walked this evening. And there's really nothing that's driving people to want to come back to Chinatown to spend money. Kevin, what, what kind of reception do art kind of things get in the community? It used to be really exciting. I can remember one New Avenue was blocked off and there was a literal red carpet running down the middle of the road. I think there was a fashion show or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. We don't have events like that anymore. The first Fridays are so toned and down from what they used to be. If there's a willing sponsor, we do hope to see some things like that back where it's not just a drinking fest, but there's more more to it. Mm. Honolulu's Culture and Arts Director Makanani Salah said she's got some ideas for that. <laughs> Gee, you've been listening to Dottie Bona, Krista, and primarily Kevin Lai, chair of the Downtown Chinatown Neighborhood Board. We were on the Chinatown Citizens Patrol, which meets every Tuesday night at Kukui Plaza, 8 p.m., outside the Diamond Head Tower. In his appearance at the neighborhood board meeting, Mayor Blangiardi welcomed attendees to hold him accountable for a list of initiatives involving nearly every city department. Parking facility improvements, tree plantings, continuing to work with River of Life to move their food distributions, working with HPD to increase law enforcement are among the listed initiatives. These are efforts many in the area have heard before, even as crime and antisocial behavior have increased. The only difference is now the city's bringing a new approach to policing. This new program would send health and social workers to 911 emergency calls about homeless and mentally ill, not police officers. 
This new program will be run by City Director of Housing and Homelessness, Anton Krucki. I spoke with him recently about this and with Alex Kozlov. Mr. Krucki emphasized the new city approach will be collaborative. We're labeling that response as CORE, for Crisis Outreach Response and Engagement, C-O-R-E, right? And so, as I stated before, this, this emergency response with a medical and a, and a service attitude, if you will, rather than a, than a police response, right, has, has been very effective in other cities. We have eight meetings that will, that will design this program. And so what we have at the table is I have, I have three city departments at the table. I have two people from the state, one the head of homelessness and the other behavioral health. So when you talk about collaboration, having the state at the table to design a city program, that's really collaboration, I think, right? I've got two uh, community members, right? One from Bui Aloha and then also from the Wacky Keyboard will be there on, on this core group. And then I also have, have uh, two providers. You talk about Connie Mitchell and also Laura Thielen from, from Partners in Care. And then I also have two gentlemen that have experienced homelessness. But the goal is really to, to ensure that in the terms of the emergency response, the way we deal with them is with dignity and we're offering them services and we hope we, we can build some trust so we can get, get them into the system so that we can help them. Let me add to that as well. I spoke to the HPD captain that runs the precinct uh, for Chinatown, Captain Song, last week. He was incredibly giving in, in his conversation. I just let him talk. He talked 45 minutes about all the things that, that, that uh, the challenges that, he, that they face and the things that they want to do. But one of the things that he volunteered was his support of the core program. Uh, they understand what it is. They are in full support of their piece of that. They see that as essential. Department of Planning and Permitting Director Alex Kozlov with Housing and Homelessness Director Alan Krucki talking about the city's new social service response to emergency calls about homeless and mentally ill. The core program is expected to roll out in midsummer. Well, it can't come soon enough for one Chinatown resident who emailed me Last night, he was pelted with feces outside his home on Pawahi Street across from River of Life Mission. The mission distributes a 1,000 free meals a day and has been blamed for attracting an undesirable clientele to the area. Since last year, negotiations have been underway to move River of Life's food distribution to city facilities in Lay. Meetings continue at least once a week. And this is the most definitive statement I've heard on the issue. Housing and Homelessness Director Krucki describes commitment from the chair of River of Life's board of directors. We're on track to stop the free street feeding in Chinatown. And we're going to move that to Evelay, as we talked about before. So they haven't gotten the contract signed yet, but we all met and everybody said what they needed to say. It looked pretty good. It's been a big challenge, and, and I think people haven't communicated well all the time. And people have told us that. But Rian Watermull and I have a, have a relationship that goes back um, many years. And so we were able to cut through some of those communication issues. And I was able to bring him to the table to directly talk to the managing director about it. So Rian, when he was the one that told me, I could say, you know, there'll be no more free public feeding by them in Chinatown. So uh, I think that's moving along. City Director of Housing and Homelessness, Anton Krucki. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to be part of Joyful Return, an interactive exhibition featuring outdoor pop-up installations across the museum. Now on view, honolulumuseum.org.
Mayor Blangiardi's paid a, paid a visit to Chinatown yesterday. He was checking out the Downtown Arts Center, where keiki programs are going to start up this summer. Check the Hawaii Arts Alliance for more on that one. Right now, the University of Hawaii Bachelor of Fine Arts students are putting their show up in that 6,000-square-foot space. A lot of energy. Every time you stop into the deck, something new's happening. Last weekend, I ran into Kim Kai from Molokai, who was part of a pop-up craft fair there. She had ceramic bowls, cups, and large inviting platters for sale that were made at the Molokai Arts Center. Kim says the center is in Kualapu'u in the coffees of Hawaii Plantation. It's about six miles from the main town, Kanakakai, and it's hidden away, but it's a, a real gem to, to find it. It's a big warehouse, and it's just filled with all kinds of shared pottery equipment and art equipment, painting supplies, jewelry-making supplies. We bought all of this stuff either through fundraising or through grant writing, and um, we make it available to everybody in the community. And you know, do people make a lot of art on your island? Or? Yes. Molokai is the most artistic island because you know, living on Molokai is an art form. You don't have all those distractions of a mall and a television theater and, and um, you know, big events. So everyone has to make their own lifestyle and they do it very artistically, I think. You know, from the time you get up in the morning, you have time to make yourself a, a great cup of coffee and a breakfast. And then you have time to look at the ocean and see the clouds and uh, think about what you're gonna do that day. And so I think that it just fosters a sense of time is slowed down on Molokai because, you know, we just don't have all the distractions and you have time to be an artist. And so I think a lot of a lot of my friends, you know, see their lives as expressing their art, whether they're baking bread. Oh, my goodness. We have some amazing bread bakers on Molokai <laughs> or making um, fermented things like sauerkraut and kimchi. You know, some of my friends are doing that. That's an art form too, you know, cooking and baking things for your friends You're and sharing about it. A thoughtful way of living. Yes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> people always try to define what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. People always go, you know, Molokai is special. Until you live there and you slow down and you have time to have deep friendships, you can't really um, understand what we're talking about. But that's what it is. It's a sense of community because because there's fewer people and you have to rely on fewer people. You get to know people a lot better and you, and you form uh, lasting friendships. And you have to depend on people too because if your car breaks down, we don't have Uber. You gotta call somebody. <laughs> and so you tend to foster relationships of people that you can count on. But what about people you don't like? Well, there are people that we don't like. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, Molokai do? can be brutal to people that they don't like. If you cross our norms, they will ice you out. It's different, so you have to spend a lot more time surviving and, and sustaining your life. And so a lot of people think, oh, that's fantastic, I'm gonna do that. Well, when they figure out how hard it is and how you know much work it is to do that every single day, they get tired and they leave. <laughs> Uh, you have your own vetting system. Yes. <laughs> when we have to come to, to Honolulu, we go, oh no, we're so afraid of the traffic. As soon as we get off the airport, we're like terrified. Ah, they're going to hit us, they're going to hit us, slow down, slow down. <laughs> but how was it this time? It was just like that. We were scared to death. <laughs> Kim Kai from the Molokai Arts Center. The Atherton Foundation and Maui County are funding all arts classes and supplies for residents and visitors through the end of June. Huzzah! Enjoy Molokai!
<laughs> Kim made it to Honolulu and back, but she was scared to death. And that's how some people feel in Chinatown. For others, it's home. And home is how it was for songwriter, singer, guitarist Joshua Hancock, or Josh 86, as he's known in his bands, 86 List and Black Square. Josh had been part of the Chinatown scene from the early 2000s, and in 2010, he, had a par- he and a partner opened up um, Downbeat Diner and Lounge on Hotel Street, a rock and vegan music venue that helped create an era in Chinatown. There's so many good stories about Chinatown, you know. Taylor Jerry had a really famous tattoo called, it said, stewed, screwed, and tattooed, because in Chinatown, when the sailors would get off the boat, they would get drunk, stewed, they would get screwed on the second floor <laughs> of all those buildings and then tattooed right downstairs. So, you know, they have their same little cycle too back then. Can you t- just talk to us about what the idea was with Downbeat and how it came together? Thanks for asking about it. You know, I miss so much of that life. Um, it, was a, it was a wild decade for sure, being working and living in Chinatown, throwing so many shows and interacting with so many musicians and bands on almost a daily basis. We had a rehearsal studio right above Crew Public House. So we had almost a whole floor with like four different music rooms operating where bands were practicing. And then literally they would walk downstairs to Proof Pub where there was a bar and then walk down the street to perform, you know, downbeat or next door or wherever. It just made sense to keep the lo- keep everything close by. Chinatown is good. Is, yeah, is affordable enough to be able to rent out a studio and an old hotel. The Blaze, the hotel has been there for over 100 years. Their rooms were cheap, so we just turned them into little funky makeshift music rooms. But you can still hear music in there. That's how you know it's not gone. You walk by the Blaze, the hotel at uh, 9 o'clock at night, you'll hear some drums banging through the windows from the second and third floor. Signs of hope. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll be back. <laughs> I knew that there were a lot of, there's a lot of history to Chinatown and a lot of music history. And I, I always liked playing in Chinatown as a, as a performer, but also I liked throwing events there. It just had kind of a raw feel and it had um, a special energy. It seemed like the kind of place where rock and roll shows should happen. So when um, an opportunity to partner up and open up our own place came around and a location became available right on the hotel street, it seemed like something worth trying. I just thought, you know, it, how hard can it be? I've been working in restaurants, you know, most of my life. <laughs> what could go wrong, right? There were clubs and bars, and a lot of the restaurants would close early, so we wanted to serve food late into the evenings and offer, like, vegetarian options, kind of a modern twist on a diner, because mm-hmm. Chinatown mostly had Chinese restaurants and pizza places. But you but, had vegetarian chili fries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We wanted to be able to serve people like vegan milkshakes and uh, vegan, you know, bacon cheeseburgers. It just seemed like maybe a niche, you know. And the lounge came a little later where there was a hair salon next to us that uh, had closed. So we took it over and extended our liquor license and cut a hole in the wall and made a door and built a stage and really built out a music venue the way I always had hoped to build one, which was, you know, small, so it would be like a crowded little space, but to have really good sound acoustics for bands that were like underground acts to perform in on a stage where it sounded really good, because most of the venues in Chinatown during that time period were echoey rooms, a lot of concrete and brick, so the bands Mm. didn't always sound that great. 
yours was a really intimate space. You could actually hear people. It was comfortable, too. And I have to say, your cocktails were very good. <laughs> Way better than they had to be. Yeah, we had some really talented bar staff. Um, our bartender, Nicole Jones, who made our, our drink menu, she was she'd worked at 39 Hotel before. And she had a lot of good experience under her belt. So we had some really cool cocktails that were kind of fun and rustic and used to like some used a lot of local produce or they used locally infused flavors. So we tried to have fun with the drinks, but also keep them, you know, cheap and strong. Uh, exactly. <laughs> okay, so now look, the music. We've had a lot of bands from the local music scene that have just been kind of nonstop gigging artists. A lot of bands reincarnate themselves. So band would break up and then a new band would form with similar members. And the local scene here is like kind of incestuous. You know, there's so many players that end up playing in multiple bands. I was in three bands at the same time, but we would have, you know, bands with members of Gojimi Go playing in two other bands. A fun band that played regularly at Downbeat that kind of like definitely captured the hearts of a lot of like local teamsters with the Hell Caminos. And they were like a psychobilly band, so it's like rockabilly and together. But these guys were always like super radical, jumping off each other's instruments, performing naked sometimes. And the Hell Caminos have, they also have been on like mainland tours as well and had like record offers, they're great. We had some like raw underground punk bands like Never Enough, whose, whose music you probably couldn't even play on the radio. But um, we've had uh, 13th Legion, which is like a kind of a hardcore like metal punk group. They're from here, yep. Mr. Meaner is like probably the oldest punk band that's been playing in Hawaii the longest, even longer than my band, the 86 Club. They have at least like three or four years, maybe more on us, but they're still playing and they play it down beat all the time. Kings of Spade, they've had some success as well. super great ska punk band, super underrated group, but they have like four albums out. And this is a good example of like just really killer musicians and artists that performed at Downbeat in this small venue that I think our city is just a little bit too small for some of them, you know? Like if they were on the mainland, they probably would have had like huge following, bigger impact, but.
playing in a subgenre and in the subcultural scene in Hawaii is hard to get a following. But the kind of magic is that at Downbeat and in Chinatown, there is a following who fans had. There were people showing up week after week to these shows um, between like Downbeat and like the Mercury Bar and Next Door. Like these fans would follow these bands and turn out every single week. Like the punk scene or the music scene out here was super healthy during that era. We were having six shows every night of the week, everything from folk music to reggae to strictly vinyl DJ nights, spinning Jamaican rock steady to punk rock nights to indie rock nights. Some of these shows were monthly shows like Kaleidoscope that started in 2005 and continuously went on without missing a month ever starting at like next door and then moving to like 39 Hotel, then moving to Downbeat. I mean, just to have an indie rock show last for 15 years, I guess, even longer, right, is pretty amazing. It says a lot about a neighborhood to just have that, you know, because people come to that and then they hang out outside a little bit. They go to the next place and it, it just creates an atmosphere. Absolutely. I We would see this kind of like little circle, like people would maybe start for drinks at like the Mercury Bar and then walk down to Downbeat and have dinner and then maybe check out some of the show at Downbeat, maybe hop across the street to next door. If 39 Hotel Street was open, they would go up there and check out a DJ, maybe uh, get into Bar 35 if they were dressed appropriately, probably end up down at like Tanks or Smith's Union for karaoke, and then maybe end up smoking cigarettes or cigars at O'Toole having all these different bars and like different venues like spread across the small area becomes this kind of fun little nighttime wonderland for like people kind of of all ages but definitely like the 20 to 30 year olds and then also you have older folks that always roll through too and regulars that would be there you know die hard dancing like it's you know one o'clock in the morning yeah it's definitely like was a special neighborhood during that time and still is but we never quite know what it's gonna reincarnate itself into. You know, we, we've seen it change so much over the decades. You know, then it kind of rebirthed, like with Indigo opening up and, and starting to bring life to Chinatown again, and Bar 35 and Next Door, these kind of torchbearers who started having events and places that people could go. And then mm -hmm. when we started, Manifest was there. They became mm -hmm. a real big draw to. Then slowly, the next decade, we would see like Lucky Belly open, Livestock Tavern, Brickfire Tavern, and then more tattoo shops popping up, like Black Cat Tattoo was the revitalization of um, Old Ironside, which was Sailor Jerry's tattoo shop, which is like just a legendary place, reopened, you know, and became a really respected tattoo shop again in Chinatown. So all those elements like totally help make this healthy little ecosystem thrive, you know, and a culture thrive with, with food and drinks and cocktails and alcohol, but also with like really cool entertainment and daytime stuff like tattoo shops and um, little uh, barrio vintage, like clothing shop was there. And there was little, you know, <laughs> other little clothing boutiques, you know, Roberta Oaks and Fighting Eel and Owens and Co. All these cool boutique shops just created this really beautiful little neighborhood with so much local entrepreneurship involvement. You might want to talk to Brandon Reed because he opened Manifest. He's been there ever since. He used to be in punk bands, which is how I met him. And then he opened up Manifest, which was, you know, the pure dream of an entrepreneur. 
starting it from the ground up. He was a young entrepreneur who definitely inspired me and made me feel like I could do it by seeing him do it. Hmm. Josh Hancock is the former co-owner of Downbeat Diner and Lounge and Proof Public House. He's now director of food and beverage at the Honolulu Museum of Art. Josh is also singer and guitarist for Black Square and this band, 86 List. We'll be back to follow Josh's advice. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Here on Hawaii Public Radio, we strive to bring you the best of both worlds. We keep you informed and entertained with national programs like Marketplace and Fresh Air. And we also keep you connected to our community with our local shows like The Body Show, Bite Marks Cafe, and Kanikapila Sunday. In fact, one-third of our programming is hosted by HPR's own staff. To learn more about all of our programs, head to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Hey, that's Craig De Silva from Evening Concert. Yeah, Hotel Street, you know, can feel pretty homey especially once you know Nicole and Brandon Reed of The Manifest, cafe, bar, and restaurant. They opened at the height of the Great Recession in 2009 with art and music as their business plan, and they thrived hosting music, poetry, and art shows continuously until March last year. They've somehow clawed their way through the pandemic with key staff members intact, and they're looking forward to what's next. The Reeds are thinking out the details of what experiences in a bar are going to be like? I think at that point, we're actually going to see a lot more overlay of sensory experience. So yeah, you can have music, but I think you're also going to have projection mapping. You're going to have visual interactions, even 3D art. Immersive spaces. More immersive experiences, kind of uh, being a way for people to create a different audioscape in addition to, you know, landscape in their space. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're a fun spot because we have these tall walls and now with short throw projectors, you know, you have this ability to really transform a space with enough um, creative intent. So it's fun. Oh my gosh, like two months ago, our staff was like, okay, we got to re-up everything. We're going to be this restaurant now. And so we had all these uh, delegation of our, our powers where he and I were doing like the product runs and I was resetting the banks and like doing all this just ground level floor work to just get the place continually operating for the last year and they're like okay we're gonna do that you guys (laughs) go schedule art shows and find us events and you know go back to doing that stuff and we're like oh we're kind of traumatized do we (laughs) it's real do we go back to doing the fun stuff again (laughs) that's so real and it's fun because we got people that are really engaged and they're excited we you know applied for our, our restaurant relief fund Oh, I'll be happy when I don't have to find puddles of money anymore to keep the business open. But <laughs> we're grateful that it's, you know, we've been able to do it and, and stay open. So now with art and music and food and beverage, it's been great too. Like this has given us an option to connect with Kahumana Organic and choose to do the majority of our produce as much as possible 
through you know their their farm and we totally support their mission and what they produce so that's been an excellent time for us to like okay we're going to do this we're going to make this change and this is what we're going to do and build our cross pricing into having these amazing juices on hand you know that's great because fed up the street they use them as well and i told doug over at other side diner i was like hey doug i got this great produce you guys should try them and we got a delivery on friday and so he's like oh okay and i feel like it's more like us joining a movement of a lot of people just starting to get a couple people off the take. So it's fun. It wasn't fun for so, so, so long. <laughs> what you got planned art-wise? Well, we got Solomon Enos up right now. When everything shut down and then we just had blank wall space, that was mentally yeah, it was really disturbing upsetting. for me because I haven't seen you know, manifest without any art on the wall for such a long time. It's not like the space is open for viewing. I still thought we need to get something on this wall. (laughs) Because we're there and our staff are there. So (laughs) I think who is a amazing talent? And I kind of reached out to him and he, he heard the call. He would always come in for coffee when his studio was down there. So we'd see him drawing all the time in the front window. That's true. He was just such a great force and person to have as as a community member when he was down here. So it's great to be able to call him. It was one of those really like, I don't know if Manifest is going to be open tomorrow, but hey, Solomon, Brandon from Manifest, do you have any artwork that you want to throw up on the wall? I don't know what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. He gets back <laughs> to me, calls me over. We load up a bunch of paintings into my back. He just says use this however you need to if it can keep manifest open sell it keep it blah 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 oh my gosh see how people feel cry. that's how people <laughs> feel about your place you guys i know just cry right sob. Just so sob. i just put it up there no prices no intention to sell we're yeah. going through the pandemic now we're starting to be open and people are asking how these- much is that being is this for sale? I love it's a local really? office and people are wanting to buy these pieces. So we're actually going to try something different. We're going to use um, an online silent auction to try to see if we can sell. And whatever we sell, we're going to donate. And this is an idea, John Lewis, a friend of mine who um, is an ama- amazing collaborator. And then he's like, overnight, if you successfully pull this out, manifest as an art venue you know like an international art venue like think of this little dot in the pacific ocean as a virtual marketplace for international buyers one click away from being right there so it's an issue of marketing after that point but the point being if we can pull that off then that might be a model that manifest uses in the future because we don't want a percentage of sales of any of the art (sighs) i'm at a point with this friggin covid where Okay, we're going to hear it's going to be around for a bit. So we have to adapt, not pivot, but just adapt for what our circumstances are. And the the nightlife scene and art is going to be a really big part of that. That's going to be fun because it's also heralding a re-matriculation of people to happy hour coming out during the week. Tinder ruined the bar scene for everyone. Because no one was looking to just randomly meet someone at the bar and get that courage through the drink. They were pre-screening people. So pre-COVID, the scene for nightlife, nightclubs were going down. Happy like... hour was already going down. Yeah, that's the whole, true. But the it whole, had been going down before Tinder. The millennials were like, I'm not doing that. 
Spend my money. As a lady, I think it's kind of nice that there's this change in the club. How does the neighborhood feel? Does it? Do you feel like you got strong partners out there? And how's the street feel? The community is strong. Our side of the street, particularly, when we opened, there was nobody knowing on our side of the street. I know. You so, opened across from next door. That was new territory there. Yeah. So now we have Pizza Mamo, which does appeal to like the more bar demographic for eating and pies. And they do delivery and the pizza is amazing. Then, you know, with uh, Hachibe and Encore and FET, they've held their ground the entire time. It's been fantastic to see them dig their heels in and make it work. And, you know, even the, the guys that, you know, run that building, talking to them about how they're trying to help these guys stay in their leases. Jesse on the corner holding down two corners and three venues with Livestock and Lucky Belly and Chin Chin. Everybody, I think, now has a different respect for each other. It's like we all made it work. Everybody figured it out and we're all smart enough. As we're all trying to just stay alive, it was really great to have that community to just send a text of some resource. I talked to you at one point, Nicole, and you did yeah. not know if you would make it past December. Oh. Well, on paper, we don't look good. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, the whole power of the lease was unfolded upon us. And I had never felt so scanned up and down, like taken apart. Like, what? We're not bad people. But... It was rent. brutal. It was so brutal. <laughs> Wait, so what happened? Well, we're still, we still have negotiated our rent to be reduced. So are so, you over $100,000 in debt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the EIDL is one fifty, And then the rent arrears yeah. is in the same neighborhood. Plus the, the money we invested the first two months into the pandemic before there was any government funding. Uh, and so now what's happening now you're you're wait, you're no. you're building on the future you're you're so yeah so now um we're looking at what we're going to do we're building a plan to expand maybe going into Hilo or going into another location we really want to go to Big Island oh there's all sorts of things <laughs> um, and we also see the industry changing like for cannabis recreational occurring across the mainland seeing how that's impacting the food web industry. We think that it's something to be ahead on and be interested in to offer clients. You know, you're talking about how to grow an industry locally, creating a conduit from local to international. I think there's big market for export. I think that what we can grow and what we can send abroad is another market to tap into. We're like, okay, what can we do? Because we're not the people that are going to go farm the land, we're the people that have the ideas for the businesses to utilize those resources. So how do we create business demand for our friends to grow things on their property? And what would that look like? And if we had a farm, what would we have demand for to grow for our businesses? There are a lot of ideas that are brought to the island, but they're not with the Aina in its focal point, right? And I feel like most of the Since concepts the yes. <laughs> that we will bring to the table have that more closer to sure. the core. Like, For sure. I think a big thing that going back to like investors would manifest would never happen because you <laughs> couldn't say like making money is at the height of the value that manifest has. Our I, investors are all people that love us. <laughs> Let's put it that way. We have ways to expand and I don't know, we're, you know, we're success stories from the small business administration. We were 
in 2009 and even now with you know the PPP and the EIDL and the Restaurant Relief Fund, like I'm starting the Emerging Leaders Program with the SBA. I'm so excited to workshop our ideas with another, with a big group, a cohort of people that are also trying to expand their business. It's a good time to be in business. Tiring. I need a vacation, but <laughs> it's a good time. Nicole and Brandon Reed, owners of Manifest Cafe Bar and Restaurant on Hotel Street. The Manifest is back in business. And guess who else is joining the party? The iconic Wofat with its scalloped roof sits at the corner of Hotel and Mauna Kea Streets. Facade preservation work is underway right now for a project that's seen as pivotal for Chinatown's future. What's giving observers a lot of hope is that project developers, the Mighty Union, have a number of respectful, glamorous projects to their credit. The idea here is for a first floor bar and lobby attracting a hip resident and visitor mix, then 23 boutique hotel rooms on the two floors above. Former ho uh, University of Hawaii coach June Jones is a partner in the Wolfat Renewal Project. He flew back to Honolulu for the blessing and start of renovations. We were standing there amidst bare concrete pillars and stacks of lumber. Well, it's uh, going to be very interesting. We're excited. Um, this is going to be the restaurant and bar down here and then a boutique hotel upstairs. And it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty cool. What's the feel of it you're going for here? The feel uh, that we want to do is bring back everybody to Chinatown. That's what we want to do. And uh, I think everybody in the community, <laughs> all the people, all the store owners, everybody are so excited that we're getting this done. So hey, have you ever felt it when it was kind of happening and there was just some I came down. I came down here 30 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, when it when it was what it was. But our kind of uh, concept is going to be a little bit different. We're tying in what was to what is going to be. Help us all see the, mm -hmm. what is going to be. That's what we're all trying to look for now for well, Chinatown. To me, this is going to be kind of the uh, focal point. This is going to be uh, the rebirth of Chinatown, I think. When we get this project done, I think everything else will start to, to happen. You know, the beauty of what we're doing we're just copying what these people did on the mainland in New York, in Portland, in San Antonio, and different cities. Went into areas where there were hotels and properties that just fell off the face of the map. They went in and bought those hotels and brought them back up just like we're going to do to change the area back to how it was. So kind of kind of excited. Like I said, we got we to gotta get some things from the city. We got to have to do some things with all the buses right here and everything. We don't want them coming by all the time because it's going to be open right here. But, you know, we'll address that when the time is right. And, you know, we're going to invest $20 million into this building. We got a time frame on that? I'm going to think it, we're going to be done, well, construction guy who's right over there thinks 15 months. But you know as well as I know <laughs> that it's a little longer in a way. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. For Have whatever you, reason. How's he working with this administration? I'm um, good. In fact, Rick just texted me. He was going to come. Rick wants this to be the focal point. What we're talking about doing is really going to help downtown Honolulu, buddy. I can't wait. Yeah, I know. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> Former UH coach June Jones, partner in the Mighty Wolf Fat renovation at Mauna Kea and Hotel. Dean Sakamoto of Shade Group is overseeing the project locally. 
No, you really don't have to wait to have a satisfying evening in Chinatown. There's a new tiki bar there now, the Skull and Crown. You know, tropical plants, big tikis, a mermaid from a ship's bow, even a few skulls are there among the marine memorabilia. You can walk through the bar into the magical courtyard of the historic Mendonca building with food by Olay's. Ooh. And currently, Star Kalahiki lays out a tasty, thrilling set of jazz standards, Hawaiian, choice Broadway, tiki, and originals with expert musicians Kit Ebersbach on keyboards and Mark Tanoe on bass. Ooh, that's about it for this Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for your company. Just love having you here. And we'd love to hear from you, too. If you'd like to call our talkback line, here's the phone number. 808-792-8217. Email works, talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post on Facebook or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm on Instagram. Visit the conversation page, hey, at the HPR website to listen back. This program is a kako thing. Mahalo to Savannah Harriman Pote, Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and always Bill Dorman. Our theme music, courtesy of Gypsy 808. Sure hope you've enjoyed the day. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Please join us Monday when Catherine Cruz picks up the conversation. Until then, let's take care of each other. Happy Aloha Friday. Mm-hmm.